Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. To be a tight end in the NFL, you have to be one tough hombre. And we have an author, Tyler Dunn, that's interviewed some of the greatest tight ends in the history of the game in his new book, The Blood and Guts, How the Tight Ends Save Football. Tyler's up in a moment to tell us all about his great interviews in this fantastic book. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pig Pen, your portal to positive football history. And we have a very interesting look down that portal of history today as we are going to be talking to an author that has a new book out called Blood and Guts, How Tight Ends Save Football. His name is Tyler Dunn, and we'll welcome him right now. Tyler Dunn, welcome to the Pig Pen. It is a pleasure to be here, Darren. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, the pleasure is all ours, sir. We, we appreciate you taking the time here to, to talk a little bit of football history with us here in the pig pen. And uh, your, your book is uh, extremely fascinating. We're going to get into more detail on that in a second. But first, uh, if we could uh, share with the listeners a little bit about you. I mean, what uh, started your, your football fandom to get you to the point of uh, writing a book on tight ends? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, you know, I grew up in western New York, so uh, from about an hour south of Buffalo, uh, yeah, played, played football my entire life. I guess that's part of it, right? Went to Ellicottville, small school. Uh, we actually had our sectional championship right where the Bills play, Ralph Wilson Stadium. So that was a that was a ton of fun. Nice. Um, but then, yeah, you got you got to move on from playing eventually and went the journalism route. Um, uh, Syracuse University loved it. Just an unreal experience working at that student newspaper covering big time D1 sports, uh, and then covered the Green Bay Packers, Milwaukee Journal Sentinel for. It was like four and a half years. Um, just talk about a crash course on on how to cover pro football. Bob McGinn, Tom Silverstein, Lori Nickel. That was that that got just an un- unbelievable experience, and uh, definitely definitely helped me in the long haul to get to this point. And Buffalo Bills covered covered that squad. Rex Ryan's first year at the Buffalo News, and then Bleach Report reached out. Um, they were expanding their features department, so it was a really good opportunity to st- still live in Western New York, but kind of travel the country and just do long-form takeout stories for BR. Um, amazing experience. R- really helped me um, learn the game and, and just tell, tell some uh, long-form stories. That, that's absolutely what I love to do um, more than anything. So um, that that was great, and uh, that ran its course and decided to launch my own site, golongtd.com. So I just do profiles, uh, long-form Q&As, deep dives, like on the inner workings of teams, that kind of stuff. and. Um, it's part of the Substack platform. So far, so good. People uh, 
people want to read, which is great. <laughs> that was the fear, right? When you just when you branch off and start a subscription website, is is this something people want to pay for? But uh, they do, so it's 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 been a lot of fun. And yeah, if people want to sign up, they can. Right there, there's a free option too. You can get stories for free on an, on like a on a different list. And if you like that, you can always upgrade. All right. Wow. That's that's quite a background. I mean, you, you have some very interesting uh, people that you got to uh, talk to every day, you know, both at Green Bay and, you know, God, Rex Ryan, he was a, a story a minute, I'm sure, when he was at Buffalo. Yeah. So the uh, the 2015 season was wild. <laughs> that was Rex Ryan's first in Buffalo. So to, to be, be there in that locker room um, for the ups and the downs and all the absolute mayhem was uh, was was just you know honestly that was one of the more fun seasons on on the job just because you never knew what was going to happen to your point. Yeah, you probably uh, your pen would run out of ink and uh, just covering him. <laughs> I'm sure you know. Yeah, literally, you got that right. Yeah, he was a uh, quite a quite the quote machine. That's for sure. So very very interesting. And in Green Bay, I mean, you had some great teams there. Did uh, what what era did you cover Green Bay? Uh, so that would have been 2011 through 2015, I believe. So right, right after they won the Super Bowl and through several seasons where they probably should have won another Super Bowl, but fell short. Uh, yeah, it was. It's very similar to Buffalo in terms of just uh, the town kind of embodying the the team. I mean, if they win, like they literally everybody at the coffee shop, the bar is in a good mood, and if they lose, everybody is in a bad mood. So there's something really cool about that where. I mean, there's something not cool. There's not like outside of the football team. There's not a lot to do, which is which is fine because I just want to, you know, drink a few beers and watch football. But <laughs> when, when that's the number one activity for everybody in the town, uh, they definitely take on the the persona of that team in every way. I'll, I'll bet. Now, I guess I mean that brings you right into your your football book here on uh, tight ends and blood and guts. Uh, how did you come up with the premise of of covering the tight end? Because that's probably a position that the uh, other than, you know, offensive line that sort of doesn't get the love that they probably should because these guys are doing some pretty awesome stuff. No doubt. I mean, they have to do it all, right? It's a little bit of everything. You you do have to operate in the trenches. So, you know, I, I guess to answer your question, I, I just want to do a book on real football. Like, what what is what is real football? It's, it's high intensity. It's high, a high level of violence. It's uh, that adrenaline rush you get, you know, when when you're hey, when you're back in high school and you're playing under the lights and everybody's in the crowd. There's there's just something really cool about the game, and I, I just wanted to try to get to the heart of it, you know, search for the soul of it. And the more you think about it, yeah, that tight end, you ha- you have to do everything, like literally everything. So I, that, that's how it started. Then once I really started talking to uh, Mike Dicka, Jackie Smith, um, Ozzie Newsom, and and then even the the contemporary guys, Rob Gronkowski, George Kittle. Um, Tony Gonzalez, you, you really learn that this tight end position, yes, yeah, it's, it's football, it's the sport itself, but I think as people read this book, um, it doesn't even matter if you like football or not because you're going to learn how, like, this this position, this profession uh, most directly reflects our own lives. I mean, our own lives, whatever our job is, I mean, it, it, it is felt through that tight end position, which which is really cool. I mean, yes, it, it saves football, and you'll you'll find out why, but I think you're also going to see how, Holy cow, playing this position, it makes you a better person. Yeah, wow. I mean, 
you uh, when you're talking to some experts about the position, I think you hit the the Hall of Fame of tight ends right there with those names that you, you talked about. It doesn't get any better than those guys. So you know they they each brought a, a different uh, perspective to the game and, and the history of the game, and yet you actually had different uh, eras of of the tight end and the development of it. You know, going from Ditka, who's you know, probably helped. Uh, developed the position as much as anybody did in, in football history, uh, right up to the, these uh, contemporary guys, like you said, like Gronkowski and you know even Tony Gonzalez. I still consider him a contemporary. He's probably been uh, retired for 10 years now, but you know, those are some greats that you got to talk to. It, it was uh, I was just unbelievably fortunate. I, I wasn't sure, you know, embarking on this cross-country tour, and I, I really wanted to talk to as many of these guys in person as I could um, and make it as real as possible to just sit down at a bar with Jeremy Shockey and, and get in his environment, right? Or hang out with Tony Gonzalez right in Austin, Texas, uh, when he moved into town there. Mike Dicka <clears throat> down at his golf course, you know, with a cigar nearby. I feel like to, to really get to know these guys, it was important to get on their turf and go, and go through their lives. I mean, I think that really each each of the 15 chapters is a long-form profile on the 15 people who who really were uniquely qualified to preserve the sport that we love, right? I mean, this is it's a special sport. It's uh, you know, you don't you don't just pick up a uh, football and and gather on your buddies. I mean, you can't you can play pickup obviously, but when it comes to um, uh, the physicality and the violence in an actual football game, you know, it, it's harder to get a group of friends together, put on the pads, put on a helmet, and have a full fledged game. I mean, there's an attrition in football that other sports just doesn't have. And I, I get it. You know, you got you got to watch the violence, and, and they they are trying to make it safer, but it's not safe. And I think that's okay. That inherent risk that the sport has, honestly, it's, it's kind of what makes it different. And um kind of going on a soapbox here, but it does kind of bother me when the league almost pretends to be something it's not. And I, you, do you want guys getting maimed in the defensive secondary? No. But do you want Chris Jones to tackle – you know, a quarterback, Tom Brady, and it literally just fall on top of him and get a flag, that that's ridiculous. So uh, I think that preservation of, of what the sport is, what makes it great, is unbelievably important. And, the, and these are the 15 dudes that are those modern-day gladiators who I think era to era, you know, decade to decade, year to year, uh, made, made sure that, hey, you know what, things are going to be changing all over the place, you know, quarterback play and what you can do at strong safety, which isn't even really a position anymore. Um, but that tight end, you, you can still hit, and guess what? You're going to be very, very visible because when it's third and eight and everything's on the line, that quarterback's going to be looking for you, Dallas Clark, you know, in the playoffs, or you, Tony Gonzalez in Atlanta, or you, Rob Gronkowski, when it's Super Bowl. I think that's what differentiates it from the lineman, too. If you have a good game as a lineman, nobody's talking about you for three hours. <laughs> Right. Yeah. You're, you're preaching to the choir here on some of this, what's going on with the quarterback, especially this year. You know, they've had, they've talked about that in decades past of, you know, putting skirts on them. I think it's, uh, might be really amplified. And it's a bad situation, like with what happened with Tua down in Miami. That's, that's a horrible situation, but that's, that's more of a policy that needs to be changed more than, uh, what needs to be changed play on the field. I think that the guys are, cognizant of there there's a brotherhood in football as you well know and they want to protect each other but they also want to do their jobs and uh you know they're, they're there to make a living and them, them hitting people very hard and taking them to the ground that's how they make their money so 
you got to you got to respect what the defenders are doing. That's for sure. Oh, perfectly put. I, I yeah, I just couldn't agree more. <laughs> yeah, to tell you that. <laughs> now you got the you know with this wide array of people that you got to interview, you know, all tight ends, you know, legends of the game, all well known uh, in, in every household that knows professional football. Um, what? It was uh, sort of was there a, like a common thread that they all said like uh, a certain aspect of the game that uh, you know that that they all loved or it was a, a variety of different things. I mean, I'm sure there had to be some common core uh, theme to what they each said. I think a common thread with these tight ends is, you know, you have to do stuff that you don't want to do, and that that's the case in life. You know, in our, in all of our day to day lives, you don't, you don't get to wake up and just, you know, have a party every day. <laughs> you've right. got to, you got to run the kids to school. You got to pay some bills. You got to do some chores around the house. Um, that's, that's the tight end position. And that's always been the tight end position is, yeah, there's, um, there's some glitz to it. There, there's, uh, you know, touchdowns and, you know, you, you you're a good looking dude like Tony Gonzalez, you know, your your life's gonna be pretty sweet. You know, you you will maybe you will be a little bit of a celebrity, but even Tony Gonzalez says that, that that's why tight end is different from the other positions. It forces you to do the stuff you don't want to do. Like you still have to go over to that nine on seven inside run drill at training camp and and, and bash people in. You know? It's you're not with the wide receivers and the cornerbacks running one on ones and working on your routes. Like there's there's an element of physicality here that's inherent to being a, a real tight end. Now, if you're, if you're a receiver, you know, if you're receiving tight end, may, maybe the, maybe you're not, you're doing less of that, but if you're still a tight end, that's still going to be an element to your game that, that you're going to need at some point or another. And I think that's kind of why the tight end position almost chooses you. Like you, you don't necessarily choose the position. Like it's, you have a certain set of uh, traits, characteristics as a, as a human being, you know, you're, you're Jimmy Graham and you're basically growing up an orphan because your mom doesn't want you and you're in a group home and you're fearing for your life and you're getting beat up in a van and your will is being tested to the extreme. Um, and, but before you're finally saved by, you know, uh, a church leader, she takes you in, gets you to school and, and you're, you know, it's no coincidence that Jimmy Graham has that, you know, intestinal fortitude, um, to play four years of basketball at Miami, play one year of college basketball and, and go to New Orleans and help evolve the position himself. Like it's, I, he, he didn't go out to be a tight end. It, it kind of chose him. Uh, same with Dallas Clark at Iowa and everything he went through. He was a linebacker, like six, seven string, just, you know, getting the space beat in and pinching pennies together to even pay his way through school. Um, eventually Kirk Ferentz says, Hey, you're, you're a tight end. And I, that, that indomitable drive just, just was perfect, a perfect fit for Dallas Clark. I think that's what's special about it. Yeah, it, it, it definitely taps into your your inner your your innermost uh, traits as as a human being. If you're going to work hard, if you're the type that's just going to put others before yourself, there's a good chance you'd be a tight end. Yeah, that, I mean, that's interesting that you bring up that topic because so many tight ends were uh, something else before they became a tight end. It's not something that in high school. Hey, I was a tight end in high school. You you never hear that uh, and. But was most common, uh, at least in past times, were uh, tight ends were former you know, offensive tackles or you know maybe a, a running back every once in a while. But like you said, you know uh, Gonzalez and uh, uh, Antonio Gates and some of the others were are, are Jimmy Graham uh, basketball players that, that were converted to, to be tight end. And you know 
now you're talking, you know, uh, like Dallas Karka being converted from another position. It's just, it's just wild. Uh, I, I think you're right on the money with saying a tight end position chooses you because that's uh, kind of cool about that position. It is. I mean, it really is just about the case for everybody except for, um, you know, Rob Gronkowski growing up here in Buffalo, New York. He's he's fallen in love with a Jeremy Shockey. <laughs> he sees, you know, he's a young teenager and he sees this. Uh, this dude in New York City with the blonde hair and the brass style, just saying whatever's on his mind, living it up, you know, in the nightlife in the big city. And he's thinking, man, that, I want to be that one day. I, I want to just, I want to party hard, play hard, live like there's no tomorrow. And boy, it sure looks like I can do it at tight end. So I, I guess that's maybe what makes Rob Gronkowski the greatest tight end ever. Is he, he kind of knew all along that he, he was made for it. And by God, the way he grew up in Buffalo, as people will read, in this book, and it, it all prepared him uh, to be that tight end. Yeah, he's he's definitely uh, a unique specimen at the position because you know generally your tight ends you can almost put in uh, one of two groups: either they're a, a great pass catching tight end, a threat down the field, or they're just a, a road grader blocker. And he was sort of you know the best of both worlds, especially in his prime. He, you know, I'm, I'm a Steelers fan, and you know he he on the Patriots just owned my team for you know as long as he played they were just killing him you know there you had Brady but he was definitely a big element of what they they did and uh, you know there, there's a, there's other instances of that too where you have a you know great uh, blocking tight end that can catch a lot of great passes and everything too but uh, you know like but Gonzalez I never really think of him as you know he, I'm sure he had his share of blocks but I, I think the general perception is. This dude could get open, and you know it was a big target when he showed his numbers to a quarterback and made some big plays with uh, and some of the others. So I guess that takes us sort of the other uh, end of my question. Um, everybody had a common thread. Well, how about what was the most surprising, uh, unique story that that one of these legends told you about the tight end position? Oh my goodness, there were a lot. You know, if we're gonna get if we're gonna get heavy, I mean, I, I would say Jackie Smith. And it's kind of twofold. His his upbringing's remarkable. Growing up in Kentwood, Louisiana, um, didn't really didn't really barely played any football. He was just like a little spinner back in their wing tee. He was a, he was a track guy. And by the way, at their school, their track, they just kind of ran around the football field uh, one time. They didn't really have a track, and there was one part of it that would flood, and it was like you know running in a bunch of wet dirt. But the the dude could fly. Um, he could run and run for days. He eventually works his way to, to playing in college or running track in college. Um, and the only way he got a scholarship is because he said he would join the football team. It was just, he was just kind of on the football team because St. Louis Cardinals take a shot at him. And, and the foot, the football stories around Jackie Smith are, are remarkable. I mean, he's, um, he kind of, he's kind of forgotten in the history of the game, but you know, yards per reception, he, he has the record still by like a full two yards. I believe he was a tough, tough, tough player. Uh, some remarkable stories on just, you know, he's, he's injured one game. Uh, Terry Metcalf, I believe the running back, takes a cheap shot, and, and Jackie just runs right out on the field, just runs right out and goes after the, the player for the Washington Redskins and, and gets in his face. And the ref is, you know, shooing him off. He thinks a fan just like a great fan ran out on the field. It makes Jackie sit in a chair, like, far away from the team. Uh, that, that following offseason, Jackie's uh, mother down in Jackson, Mississippi, uh, greets him at the door and says, hey, Jackie, there's a, a player for the Washington Redskins that just moved in, and he's, he says he wants to see you. 
And uh, <laughs> Jackie's a God-fearing man. He's like, oh, my gosh, Jesus Christ himself has delivered me my revenge. And so he goes over to the guy's house. He's ready to punch him and slug him and get his vengeance. He's got a clenched fist uh, behind his back. The player answers the door, and it's somebody else. And they had themselves a beautiful chat. <laughs> <laughs> he was a – yeah, you know, that th- those Cardinal teams. Um, I mean, they had Conrad Dobler, right? They, uh, Dan Deardor. There, there were some tough, tough guys on that team. Yeah, they all to a man really believe. J- Jimmy Hart at quarterback. Those, those those teams, I believe, too. Yeah, yep, yep. Yeah, good yeah. call. Yep, and that, God, the name escapes me. They had somebody that competed like on the world's strongest man too. Uh, I mean, you're talking about gnarly, mean, nasty <laughs> human beings. But Jackie Smith, they told me, is he was the bad, bad dude of them all. Like he, he was the man in charge. Um, you feared him. He had a toughness to him. And it was great to just tell his story because, sadly, you know, you hear that name and you think of 5.5 seconds of the Super Bowl where that drop that he had in the end zone in 1979, there was so much more that went into it. Um, you know, it wasn't like he just dropped this easy pass. The play call, where they called it, Roger Staubach's throw, it, um, there were a lot of moving parts, let alone the fact that it was in the third quarter. They got a field goal that drive, and I think Randy White like fumbled a kickoff return, and Staubach threw a bad pick that led to a touchdown. Many other factors were, were why the Dallas Cowboys lost that game. But um, I, I think the stories out of that on, on how he had to deal with this um, in his post-playing days, that, that's where it gets heavy uh, because Jackie Smith is sitting down with him. I was like sitting with my grandfather, an unbelievably kind human being, great, great soul. And you can just feel his pain and, and how that moment affected him and more so affected the relationships that he had with so many of his loved ones. It, it took a while. I, he was pretty honest. It took until about a couple of years ago for him to really look in the mirror, face that man in the mirror and say, hey, let's quit, quit letting this bother you. Like really cherish these relationships. And I think that's a huge element to the tight end position too. So many of these guys kind of had that man in the mirror moment and uh, better themselves as human beings. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm glad you, you mentioned Jackie and his pre- previous, uh, you know, history because like you say, he sort of gets a bad rap for that Super Bowl thing. But I, I have a theory a little bit on that. You know, first of all, he came from the Cardinals, which, uh, that way back then, uh, the Cardinals and the Cowboys were in the same division. Uh, sounds kind of foreign to us now, but I can remember those days. I'm, I'm a little older, <laughs> but, uh, so, you know, he really, by Cowboys fans, a very passionate fan base now and then, um, you know, they probably had a little bit just like from way back when, cause he, he hurt them so much, you know, when he played against the Cowboys twice a year and then, uh, you know, him doing that and they needed a scapegoat, uh, you know, playing the Steelers that year. And, uh, I think he just sort of, he was the, the donkey they were going to pin the tail on and, uh, yeah. poor guy got a bad rap. But like you say, there was a lot of football left after that and a lot of, uh, plays that were left on the field that, uh, could have changed the, the outcome of that game. So. Uh, a great player, though, and I'm, I'm glad that you bring him up and, uh, and talk about his uh, being such a great player instead of being a, a scapegoat of a, a Super Bowl loss. Thank you. Yeah, you know, he. you're right. There was I think other factors that kind of were at play, too, like Vern Lundquist's call, like, bless his heart. Like we all, if People who, were, who remember watching that game can remember the, the imagery, right, of even, like, Roger Staubach, Tom Landry, just the despondent, looks on their faces it was it was just heavy and, and right in the moment it was just played up to the extreme where oh my god so much other stuff happened and i just met i think of 
everybody listening out there, if you were judged by something that happened in your life that was such a fleeting moment in time, I, I can't imagine. Yeah, it's, it's not like he... Uh, you know, it was a, it was an easy catch that should have been made. Not not saying that, but I believe he's down on his knees. There's a low low throw by Staubach and uh, high pressure situation. I mean, what, what what one of us can honestly say that you haven't made a mistake on the job when you're under a little bit of pressure, you know, in a unique circumstance. I can I don't think anybody's going to be raising their hand says it's never happened to them because uh, it's happened to all of us. I'm sure. Just he's on a, a big stage of the you know the most televised. Uh, program in, in the country for the year and everybody watching at a critical point. So, yeah, he he, he deserves to, to get more credit for being a great player that he was. And you know what? Just while we're on him, uh, that play, uh, Jackie broke it all down. It's And granted, we didn't, we didn't just open up our conversation with, with that play. We were gently kind of easing into it because I think it, it still is a sore subject for him, obviously. Some of his closest friends haven't even brought it up. Um, but that play... Uh, Roger Staubach, when he threw it, he kind of fluttered it. He floated it. Like, normally he'd zip it in there. But Jackie was so wide open, unexpectedly wide open, as like the fourth or fifth option on the play. Like, it's not even for him that he, he, he thought he wanted to make it easy, where Jackie's running his route fast, and like he always would. And uh, that that's what kind of made him slip, and then he dropped it. And, and also was called at like the 10-yard line. Typically, when they run that play, which was just put in, I mean, they just put the play in, it was supposed to be a goal line play. So he'd go to the back of the goal line to catch it. And, and this time, it's, it's just different, the dimensions of, of where they're calling. That's why, like, Tom Landry, one of the best coaches of all time, whose, you know, fingerprints are all over the tight end position, too, as, as people will read. It's, it's crazy that, he, you know, he called that play where he did. It doesn't make much sense for a, one of the smartest coaches ever to do that. Yeah. But it, it actually it worked though. He was open, and they could. They That's the thing. Yeah, you right. an advantage on it. You <laughs> was, know? Regardless, he was open. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. You're right. Interesting. Now, I, I'm uh, I'm interested in hearing a little bit of, about uh, Ozzie Newsome that you sat down with because that man's mind. I mean, as a player, he had to be one of the, the smartest football minds in football on the field, and definitely his. Uh, you know, general manager duties. He's you know off the charts. The guy had success with everything he did in a game of football. So I'm just uh, interested. Maybe some of the, the interesting things that uh, you got out of your conversation with him. Oh my goodness, he uh, he's so different than you know. If you're talking common threads with tight ends, it'd be personality, right? So many of them have just explosive, loud, fun energetic personalities. I mean, Ozzy, when he was the GM, he went after Shannon Sharp. <laughs> Shannon Sharp helped him win a Super Bowl. So he, he welcomed that personality. That, that wasn't Ozzy. I mean, he is, as Joe DeLamalore says, quiet as a mouse. I mean, he really didn't say much privately. He doesn't say much publicly. For To sit down with him for this book, uh, I'm surprised that he was up for it. But he was. We talked for like an hour about um, his remarkable life. You know, I think it's a product of where he grew up, the segregated South, where he's living so many of the experiences we just read about in textbooks, really. I mean, he uh, he was there, and, and he saw it, and he's on a youth baseball team, and their team is forced to just stay somewhere else because people at this uh, establishment did, did not want African-Americans there. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think the fact that he then decided, okay, I'm going to go to white school, and I'm going to compete academically and athletically, 
and, and prove that I'm just as good, if not better, than, than everybody. And he, he did. Like, he crushed everybody in that department. Uh, gets to Alabama. Um, Bear Bryant's like a father figure for him. Just, just wants to make him proud. They, they've had, uh, they, they had unbelievably, uh, important conversations that he still holds near and dear. And I think that all the playoff heartbreak in Cleveland, I mean, he, he just, he endured so much heartbreak and, and those playoff losses, the red right 88, the drive, the fumble. Um, the, the theme would be just calm and chaos. That's the, that's the title of that chapter. He's just so unbelievably calm. And even the way he caught the ball, he, he was smooth. I mean, he looked it in with his eyes. And after he had a drop early in his career, he didn't drop another pass. Practice game didn't matter. He never dropped the ball because he's just so dang calm and quiet and productive. And, yes, that's absolutely how he ran the Baltimore Ravens. You know, that first draft when it's all bare bones. My God, they didn't even have a logo. They're working under the police barrack. They, their roster's gutted. Um, you know, the city of Cleveland wants Art Modell dead. Ozzy's just a de facto GM when he was like Bill Belichick's, uh, uh, whatever you call him, just gopher before, you know, for the, for those Brown teams. He was just a, a scout, scout, you know, working on the cards at practice. Uh, but now all of a sudden he's entrusted with running the Baltimore Ravens and he had the foresight in that moment to just trust their draft board in 96. They, they had an owner in Art Modell and a head coach in Ted Marchabroda who wanted Lawrence Phillips. They want to make a big splash. Um, the running back out of Nebraska, talented, obviously troubled, very, very, very troubled, historically troubled, and Ozzie Newsome, all he said is we did all this work on these college prospects. Our scouts have Ogden, Jonathan Ogden, number one. We're going to stick with Jonathan Ogden. And that, the pick obviously worked out. Uh, they take Ray Lewis later in that first round, and the Ravens for two decades are, are a gold standard for how you run a team. Uh, absolutely, yeah. That's uh, fantastic on on that. Now, uh, why don't you uh, let's, uh, take this opportunity to, to say the name of your book again and where folks might be able to get it? Absolutely. Yep. It's uh, The Blood and Guts, How Tight Ends Save Football. Uh, Amazon's probably the way to go, right? That, that's where everybody is anyway. <laughs> so a uh, hardcover, Kindle, Audible, all available there. But obviously Barnes & Noble, Walmart, Target, Indie Books, um, your local bookstore should, should be all over the place. So Yes, you'll get all these stories and uh, a hell of a lot more. I, I promise you that. It was a it was a passion project. Lo- loved every second of it. Well, that's that's great. Okay, one, one last question before, before we let you go here. Now, you know, the t- tight end position we we know the, how it's morphed into what it is today. You know, it's it's a dynamic position. It's always changing. Uh, but where do you see the course of tight ends going? Further, I mean, is it, is it? Do you see any more changes to the position uh, for, for the good of the game, or uh, do you think it's going to be pretty much what it is today? No, I think it is changing. I mean, it's you're seeing the athleticism, you know, just reach extremes. I mean, Kyle Pitts and what he does in Atlanta is it's it's unbelievable, really. I, I, to to have that kind of athleticism, that kind of speed, and to run a four four at two fifty. Um, he, I mean, he's unbelievably productive. We'll, we'll see how, you know, the quarterback play shakes out there and, and if you can kind of develop as a blocker. Uh, you know, block is obviously a weakness of his. Uh, but I, I talked to him actually working on a story right now with Kyle Pitts. We just caught up a, a couple of days ago. So at golongc.com, people can check that out. Um, I, I think this guy's got an inner drive like Gonzalez has, like uh, Gates had, like all of these greats really possessed. And, as much as you really do want that do-it-all tight end that can block and 
and drive somebody into the dirt 15 yards field and make a play in the passing game. You know, George Kittle is the best of the best today. The Kittles don't grow on trees because that's not a tight end that you're really going to find in college anymore. You're, you're going to find athletes, and then you have to try to coach them up and teach them the block. Uh, but that's okay. You know, I, I think Pitts is going to take this tight end position into a, a new realm that is hopefully going to get these guys paid because they're some of the most underpaid <laughs> professional athletes in any sport. And it, it's kind of terrible. I mean, fullbacks and, and specialists only make less than them. Uh. Yeah, that's very true indeed. Now, I really appreciate you coming on today uh, talking about the tight end position. I'm, I'm glad that you wrote this book uh, and giving them the, the love that they deserve and uh, telling their story in, in football history. And, you know, Tyler, it's a amazing book, and, folks, I, I highly recommend it. Uh, like you said, you know, Amazon and the Barnes & Nobles of the world, I, I hear they both sell a few books. So definitely get, get Tyler's book there. Probably it makes a, a great uh, Christmas gift. We've got uh, that season coming up for the football uh, fan in your life that uh, loves to read about football history. And uh, appreciate that. Uh, Tyler, do you want to share any uh, of your social media with folks so they can keep – I know they can keep uh, track of you uh, on the website, uh, but, you know, social media is always a good thing, too, for people who only have a couple seconds in their pocket, you know, the phone in their pocket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, just at Ty Dunn, so T-Y-D-U-N-N-E. On Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff. So yeah, follow along, and we'll be spreading the tight end love and, and covering pro football best we can to go along. All right, uh, Tyler Dunn, uh, book Blood Gut and Guts: How Tight Ends Save Football. We appreciate you coming on here today, sir, and sharing and preserving football history. No, thank you, man. I really enjoyed the conversation. Hope we can do it again. Peeking up at the clock, the time's running down. We're going to go into victory formation, take a knee, and let this baby run out. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you back tomorrow for the next podcast. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, football fans. This is Ross, the host of the Pigskin Tales podcast. I just need a few moments of your time to talk about the host of the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, Darren Hayes. He's expanded the pig pen to search out information on the history of all team sports. It's a quest to find out about the competitors, teams, and places chronicled throughout athletic history through the uniforms and gear the participants used and wore. And he is taking you, the listener, with him on this educational journey to preserve sports history on the Sports Jersey Dispatch, found here on the Sports History Network. His newest podcast, called Jersey Dispatch, is all based on the jerseys that all the greats used to wear. You can find Darren Hayes and the Pigskin Dispatch podcast as well as Jersey Dispatch on your favorite podcast provider multiple times each week. So remember that, Darren Hayes, the host of the Pigskin Dispatch and Jersey Dispatch podcasts.
is found right here on the Sports History Network.